we get so perturbed when we plan and things don't go the way that we planned or when we plan and people don't perform in the, in, with the expectation that we have. But the whole purpose of this Dharma is, is for how to live uh, this worldly life successfully. And part of the success in life has, to, oh, and I'm gonna uh, uh, apologize for being late in a few minutes. And the success that we uh, have in life is dependent on on the structure of appearances, how we put together what is happening in the present moment and what we ascribe the, um, the consequences of past actions to in this moment. For instance, if someone um, uh, pulls out in front of me and, I, and immediately my head goes off and I say, you jerk, you know, but the person actually I was in, uh, my car was in a blind spot, so they couldn't actually see. And it was like, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, and they do, sorry, sorry, sorry. And you say, okay, no problem, no problem. <laughs> so immediately there's a shift just simply because they were contrite. But if they pulled in front of you and it could have been the same thing, it was a blind spot and they didn't see it. But then they said, oh, just that's what your brakes are for then your response to that might be a little different. But there is no difference in the action that was taken. It's how we perceive the moment uh, that we choose to respond. So a lot of the practices that we have is uh, practice to be able to respond differently in the moment when something happens. Now, of course, it's so easy to think of how we're gonna respond appropriately, mindfully, compassionately, spiritually, when we're sitting on our pillow, uh, like imagining these scenarios and saying, what a good person I am. You know, I'm full of loving kindness and may you have uh, peace and happiness and good fortune in your life. But in the moment when that happens, how can you respond? And just reciting during this recitation when we're in our still spots does not uh, fully equip us to be able to do it when we're moving about in the world. And that's why even in the monastic community, the Buddha didn't like just have everybody live in the forest, each one like being a hermit somewhere. He caused them to live together for periods of time because that's the only way you know your practice is working. When you are with someone, um, you know whether the way you think or uh, the way you wish you could respond, uh, you know whether you can do it or not. But when you're just thinking about those situations, then you're sure you can, you can do it. And so he caused them to have to live together so that they could keep a constant check on their practice. Now, the way the story has rolled out to us and with the arising of, a, of from being homeless ones to, to monasticism being a priest craft, something has shifted. Um, uh, something has shifted in how we walk that life out and how we look at that life. And there's been a, a very definite demarcation between uh, the monastic life and the lay life. And that there were times that Buddha talked with uh, uh, members of the uh, community who did not want to be monastics. And they said like, you know, we like everything you're saying. It sounds really good. We want to be able to handle our emotions. We want to be able to live life 
peacefully. We, we want to be good people, you know, but we like our wives. We like our husbands. We like our children. We like having a career. We like uh, money. We like buying things. We, you know, give us a Dharma. We want a Dharma. And what has happened in the arising of the priestcraft is that we have tried to um, make the householders see what they were missing. <laughs> so we give them a taste and experience of monasticism. And that's all well and good. But when they go back home, they're confronted with the same uh, situations that they uh, have in ordinary life. And uh, so they need something to be able to equip them to deal with those situations. Now, I do have to say that on the monastic side, people think that, that we don't have that many problems there. We have just as many, well, not just as many, but we have a lot of the same issues. The only difference is that when you're with disagreeable people, you can leave them and go home. When we're with disagreeable people, they live there. There's no place to go. And so in a way, we get more training uh, than the lay per people do because we are in a situation where we've made a commitment and we have to uh, learn how to flow together like milk and water, uh, whether we want to or not. And that's the only way to be successful in, in that life. So a lot leave the monastic life and go back to lay life so they can have their own house and they can close their door when they don't want to talk to you. Um, and so... Uh, uh, this whole notion that all uh, uh, worldly dharma is uh, Buddha dharma came from my, my uh, uh, Vajrayana Buddha master. He said, you know, it's here that you need uh, the dharma. The dharma is for the dharma is for here. Uh, so it's not like we're here for the dharma, but the dharma is here for us, for us to be able to know how to look at and how to uh, work with every situation in our daily in our daily life. So it's not something that we sit off to the side and we um, uh, uh, like have discussions about, you know, uh, and uh, and and it's not like it's something that has passed away and like we need a new dharma for today because you know like we're different than they were 2,500 years ago, you know. But the bottom line is that we're not that di different. There is a cause and a condition for there to be an appearance in uh, the human world. And that is uh, having the qualities, that mind stream having the qualities uh, for being in this realm is the basis of there being uh, a birth here. And so we're all here because we're pretty much alike in the, the quality, the level of our thinking, uh, our realizations. And it's from here that we have a chance to, uh, to, uh, to grow and to shift uh, our understanding, to make, have more of a breakthrough. Uh, if you think of the uh, uh, 31 planes of existence and this being, um, don't get too hung up on this is plane one, two, three, four, five. But if you're talking about hell realms, hungry ghost realms, uh, um, you're talking about uh, the animal realm, you're talking about the sewer realm, and then human realm. So there's some ascent here and some capacity to even uh, grow further. But we hear uh, there's a song that's called Creep. And I like that song 
uh, it's a it's a secular song. And one a couple of the lines say, uh, "You look like an angel. You, uh, I wish I was special, but I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What am I doing here? I don't belong here. And for so long in my life, I felt that that like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I just don't belong here. And I couldn't fit in." You know, my my views about things were different than everybody else in my household, so I didn't fit there. My um, uh, sense of myself uh, was different than the kids I went to school with, so I didn't belong there. I uh, uh, it, it's no matter where I tried to place myself uh, in uh, in worldly life, in a career, or or even in the church, no matter where. I always felt like the odd man out, like I didn't belong here. But when I found the Dharma and I found the, the uh, causes and conditions for there to be an arising, a birth in this realm, I'm like, ha, I belong here because I begin to see myself. I know what's in my mind, you know, regardless of whether I have a smile on my face or not. I know what I'm thinking. I know my thoughts. And a lot of times we push aside the thoughts that we have because we like to think we're good people. And uh, so, so we don't really want to acknowledge some of the thoughts that arise in our mind. And if we learn how to put a real good face on, other people won't see it too. But the thing about entering into the Dharma is that there is a desire to come clean. And in coming clean, um, we begin to uproot the seeds that are in this consciousness that uh, have that can be watered, that produce uh, negative uh, consequences in our life. And we begin to uh, water or nurture the ground of being so that uh, we can uh, bring forth uh, positivity and good fortune and compassion in our life. And so uh, there were the people of the bamboo gate. What time do we end? Um, 8.45, but, oh, uh, Did, but we can extend to whoever to wants to stay longer, can stay longer. Pardon? You all need to take a break before I get into the lesson? Okay, wonderful. And I apologize for um, missing the meditation. I had planned to sit with the meditation as well. And I'd been waiting since nine this morning for um, uh, a uh, tractor trailer to deliver our uh, merchandise, you know, we have a big box store. Like if you want to do little things, you don't need much. If you want to do big things, it takes a lot, you know. And I'm looking at the suffering that's going on in the world. And before COVID, you know, we were very engaged in, um, in, uh, in, in service in the community. And during COVID, we also um, wanted to help the people in our community. So the most needy in our community were uh, the migrant workers. I mean, we don't, um, our community doesn't like them. They don't want them to be there. They do police stops. They do all of these things with our, our um, migrant workers from South America who come up and who plant our food, grow our food, who harvest our food. But as soon as they finish their work, then we want them to leave. We don't want them to come and tell us time to plant because we're not gonna do it. And as soon as they've done it, we want them to leave. Uh, and so uh, this uh, summer, they were not able to participate in activities because they were considered a high risk group. 
uh, just because of, of uh, the conditions that they live in are so deplorable. Um, and there's a community called Precious and you should just see that, oh my gosh. It'll just make you weep. The, there's no plumbing in the, in the uh, trailers. The waste just runs to the ground and, you know, and, and in a stream and all their children play there. And so we wanted to do something special because nobody else could seem to fit that into their budget or, or saw a need for it. So we set up a summer school and, uh, uh, outdoors, we set up a number of tents and the kids would come and then I bought a bus so we could pick them up. Uh, and, um, and they would come to school uh, uh, for half a day. And then uh, two or three times during the summer, we took them like, uh, not water rafting, but in the lazy donut rafting, you know, and some things like that, where they could have some joy and some happiness. And we still didn't have to be together, you know, like playing games that, that created close contact. And then when school opened, uh, we provided a hundred families with um, uh, internet so that uh, in their uh, trailers so that they could get online for school. And uh, the biggest thing the need that they have is for decent housing. And you know that we have um, a big complex and it's not all renovated. We have like uh, 26, uh, a building with 26 uh, bedrooms that has not been renovated yet. And we were thinking about how we could possibly, you know, renovate that so that we could have, uh, provide some decent housing. And it was gonna cost uh, $300,000. Dude, I said, well, you know, like donations, it'll be 10 years from now before we do it. So we decided to uh, open up, um, I'd had a thrift shop before and, and the My Gluten-Free Bread, if you remember from about seven or eight years ago. So we decided to open up a, um, it's something like a dollar store, but it's a big bin store, you know, and you buy the stuff wholesale on tractor trailers and you, Put it out there, and people like like loving these bargains because they get two and three hundred dollar items for thirty or forty dollars, and and we thought that maybe in that way we could raise the money. So uh, some politicians came to us and they said, "Oh, we would like to be involved with you. We'd like to help you with this pro uh, project." And right away they started telling me what I was going to do and giving me all these conditions. I said, "You know what?" I said, that's okay. I'm going to try to do this myself. And if we can't do it, we just won't, we can't do it. We just won't do it. You know, cause I could see uh, where we were going and somebody is going to, you know, be telling us what we could and couldn't do with our property and coming and taking over. And so sometimes we want to do something, but if, and it would have been wonderful because, you know, they would work at providing the means, but if it, uh, puts you in a position where uh, you can't maintain um, your intentions regarding it, then sometimes we should step back. So I step back. So they were supposed to be delivering this tractor trailer of merchandise uh, this morning. And I have a group of, of six people. And we've been there all day waiting for them to deliver the merchandise. And, and they got there at 6.45. And uh, so when uh, Nicholas called me, I said, oh, my goodness, you know, and 
and I jumped in the car and came here to uh, to meet with you. And I said, Nicholas, go ahead and start the meditation. I'm coming, you know. So I ask you to forgive me for for being late, and um, and that's that's the reason. But I think all things work together for good. You know, just for goodness sake, not because we're so good, but just for goodness sake. So if there's any goodness in you, you can count on something working for you because it works for goodness's sake, not not for our sake. So here's the people of Bamboo Gate. And uh, they they were asking the Buddha, like, how um, uh, how could they live their lives so that they could have a fortunate rebirth. That's what they said. They said, with the breakup of the body after death, how can we we be reborn in a good destination in a heavenly world? And he said, I'll teach you householders, a Dharma exposition applicable to oneself. Listen uh, to that and attend closely and I will speak. Yes, sir, they uh, replied. And he says, what householders is the Dharma exposition applicable to oneself? Here householders and noble disciple reflects thus. I'm one who wishes to live, who does not wish to die. I desire happiness and am averse to suffering. And since I am that way, if someone were to take my life, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to me. Now, if I were to take the life of another, of one who wishes to live, who does not wish to die, who desires happiness and is averse to suffering, then that would not be pleasing and agreeable to the other too. How can I inflict upon another what is disagreeable and displeasing to me? And having reflected thus, he himself abstains from the destruction of life, exhorts others to abstain from the destruction of life and speaks in praise of abstinence from the destruction of life. And thus this bodily conduct of his is purified in these three ways. And so he went on with that, with the first precept, with the second, taking what is not given. That doesn't matter whether you're trying to uh, take away uh, uh, some, steal someone's or block someone's reputation. It's like any way that you try to cut someone off from what uh, they have earned, from what uh, they uh, deserve. So don't think just in terms of of stealing something like stealing money, but uh, even stealing someone's happiness by violating them in a certain way. You know, uh, all of these roll in to uh, stealing. You could even say that it rolls into taking taking one's life. Um, Then he talked about uh, 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 sexual misconduct and uh, beyond sexual misconduct, we could think about sensual misconduct and how the sexual misconduct began through something coming in through the eye gate or through something that we hear, pleasing sound, pleasing voice. So we see, we hear, uh, we smell a fragrant, fragrances and and perfume we touch there's the feel so actually we have to set a watch over our sense gates what we see here taste touch smell and think he included thinking as uh, as a sense thank you he included thinking as a sense and so uh we have to uh um, draw in our senses and this is the beginning of the 
the like the middling level of our spiritual practice. And so as one is living in this world, but they're finding that these things that I touch, that I handle, uh, these things that I like, that I smell, that I taste, these things that I like, you know, that I that I see and that I want and I desire, that's where the craving comes. It comes through these sense gates. So it's right there when something is arising, you know, he's telling us what to do and how, how to handle. He says, begin to gradually draw in uh, your vision, begin to gradually pull away from so much of the uh, uh, carousing and the things that cause one to fully be out there. And as one gradually turns inward, one starts to find a different kind of, of joy that's based on a kind of, of contentment as opposed to uh, excitement, you know, that's based on a kind of satisfaction and okayness with, you know, uh, uh, with little. Uh, that rather than needing more to feel worthy, to be somebody, you know, needing to have something. Uh, and then when we step back in that way, just gradually, just gradually, uh, you know, I didn't make up my mind in my mind, I'm going to be a monastic tomorrow and then leave and go to my, no, I started with a six bedroom house and this house is too big. It's too much to clean. Went to a five bedroom house, went to a four, went to a three, went to a two, and then an apartment, three bedroom apartment though, but then a two bedroom and then a one bedroom and then an efficiency. And then it got to a point where that even seemed like that was too much. One time somebody came on and said, and said well, I wasn't Paniwadi then. She um, said, Diane, where do you sleep? And I opened the door to the closet in the hall. I said, right there, that's enough space. Yeah. So, so there is a gradual shifting. One doesn't have to force anything, but just recognizing and not feeling like you're strange, not feeling like you don't, uh, uh, like you don't fit anywhere, you know, but recognizing you fit somewhere, but you haven't found out where. And as you begin to like just step back gradually and feel this uh, kind of, of contentment that arises, uh, then you just go with that. It's, it's a natural consequence. It's a, it's a natural flow. Now, the thing about this uh, particular sutta, um, because he gave very similar advice uh, to the Kasambians in the Majima Nikai, I was reading from the... Um, uh, uh, from the Samyutta Makaya, because they asked the question about not so much about this life. They're saying like, we want to live this life, but you know, when we die, we want to go to a heavenly destination. I want to come back to this world again and certainly don't want to uh, have any desire to uh, have an appearance in any of the four uh, other worlds that they mentioned, the hell realm, the hungry ghost, um, the animal realm. Um, how I'm hungry, ghost, animal. What's the other one? This is a test. I just said it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I forgot it. What is it? Uh, um, asuras? Hungry. Asuras or Davis? Asuras, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so in case you don't know, like the Asura realm actually is um, a celestial realm, but where there is so much uh, 
uh, bliss and so much uh, uh, joy and so much good fortune, you know, that they have no time uh, for the mind stream uh, to become more and more purified. And when that life has expired, then there is the taking up of, of uh, another appearance or manifestation, not like I'm born again and again and again, but the passing of a baton, you know, uh, it's something like that, like lighting one candle and as that wick burns down, you can light another candle for it, uh, with it. And that goes out and then there is the continuation. And so he uh, helps us to uh, understand that there's more than just this life. And there was a reason for there being an appearance in this uh, in this life. So somebody passed this baton on to me, whether I'm good or whether I'm not good, these seeds are already here. And depending on what I water, uh, that determines what flowers or what weeds grow out of, out of this mind stream. So it's very simple. It's okay if you don't believe it, it's just as logical as, as embracing anything else. The more you think about it, the more it makes sense because everything else has a cause. Every other condition has a cause. So taking uh, uh, a birth in this life does uh, as well. But they were talking about after they die. Now, the, the, um, um, that was at the Bamboo Gate, the lay people of Bamboo Gate. But the Kasambians, they were saying like, you know, uh, same thing, we want to have our, our loves, our children, our money, our wealth, our fun, our, you know, and they said, but so, but we like what you're teaching and we want to be good people. So teach us a Dharma that will allow us to have those things and still um, seize the essence of a precious human life. He said, listen to me and I will give you a Dharma for that. And he turned around, he gave them the same Dharma, gave them the same five precepts. And that's why the taking of a vow is so important. Uh, it's not, we think of the precept or the rule, uh, or, you know, uh, like, a, like a law, but uh, that we have to uh, ascribe to. But, you know, we're not made for, for um, laws. Laws are made for us. They're given to us to help us to be, um, to reach our own, our own goal. So when someone is living for the rule, they miss the point of it. Something that uh, they become concretized around an idea that's not necessarily liberating, you see. But when I take it up and understand that uh, how to use it in a way that it uh, benefits um, me, then um, it's not like a, a rule. It's um, something that that constrains that constrains me, rather than restraining me. And that's a subtle difference, but it's a very very big difference. You know, uh, it doesn't tie me up. It doesn't put me in a box. You know, but it helps me to understand things in a way that that. Um, allow me to move towards my, my heart's desire and in a harmless way so that the rewards of goodness manifest in my life simply because the goodness is in me. And so um, he said, um, 
What do you think when you take the quarreling and brawling and our deepened disputes, stabbing each other with verbal daggers? Do you on that occasion maintain acts of loving kindness by body, speech, and mind in public and in private towards your companions? He said, no. Um, and so he said, there are these six principles of cordiality that create love and respect and conducive to cohesion, to non-dispute, to concord, and to unity. What are these six? He said, maintaining bodily acts of loving kindness, both in public and in private, towards companions in the holy life. This principle of cordiality that creates love and respect and conduces to cohesion, to non-dispute, to concord, and to unity. And what I've noticed over this past year or past couple of years, or maybe uh, since the arising of the Me Too moment that we've lost that sense of cordiality and respect. And we've moved into a place where we, we blame each other and, and criticize and crucify and, uh, you know, so quick to jump uh, and to take someone down and, um, And I think that we need to step back and think about it a bit, whether we're moving towards or moving away from uh, the vows that we have taken for how we want to live uh, in this life and how we want to seize the essence of a human life. And, and if we cannot learn how to take care of those moments when there is the arising outrage, what shall we do? So this Dharma is given to us um, because we need, it's given to us to help us at the very things that we are trying to accomplish in our life. And if we would receive them that way as our dear friends, as our, our close companion, the one that, that keeps us calm, that keeps us cool, that says overlook a fault and tolerate a slight, that then we will be able to uh, live life successfully. And the great faith that arises because of the Dharma in you, you know, uh, will enable you to know for yourself the value of the Dharma and the quality of person that you are. And when you know the quality of person you are, and it's a good quality, then it doesn't matter what other people think about you. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. You know, uh, the one who's strong is able to bear the infirmities of the weak. You know, doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you and all of that. It doesn't mean that. You know, sometimes you have to handle your business and sometimes you have to say to people, you don't have to go away mad, but you do have to go away. And, and you can do that uh, without uh, a great remorse because you know that you've gone as far as you can go with a situation to go any further would be violence, you know, committed towards oneself even, you know. And we find that we're able to do better each time that we um, sit back and evaluate how well I did with the Dharma, that's uh, the worldly Dharma, uh, that which is arising constantly in our life, that which arose today, you know, praise, the blame, the loss, the gain, the pleasure, the pain, the fame, the shame. Those are the eight worldly wins. That's what we get all day long. 
Somebody's praising us or criticizing us, you know. We're winning or we're losing. Uh, so at this um, uh, uh, store that we have, it's called Thrifty Treasures, and it's something like a treasure hunt. So we have like some really uh, expensive items all interspersed amongst, you know, dollar items and $5 items and $10 items. And, uh, and, uh, and people find a lot of them, and people find them, and they're so happy about it. But what I've noticed is no matter what they can buy, they can have 10 bargains and one thing costs a dollar more than they think it should cost. And they're totally upset because they think they have to win every time over everything. No balance whatsoever. But we can't always win. So we have to become acquainted with winning and suffering loss. We have to become acquainted with getting praise and blame. And the thing is that if you are praised, don't, don't uh, put too much stock in it, okay? Because praising, uh, receiving praise and liking the praise sets you up for great suffering when you're blamed. I was uh, with a master one time. She said, in order to come and stay here, you have to be able to accept many blames. I said, oh, I could do that. I could do that. You know, she said, no, you really have to be able to accept many blames. I said, I can do that. I like, I'm, I'm really, I give people the benefit of the doubt. I go a long way. I'm long suffering. I bring that from my Christian um, heritage. I said, you know, long suffering I am. Uh, I can, I can quote second uh, Corinthians by heart, you know, and, you know, I, and, and, but when I got there and something would happen and she say, you did it or she fussed me. I said, oh, I didn't do it. You know, I said, no problem though. I'll clean it up or whatever it is, but I didn't do it. You know, so I, I just wanted her to know I didn't do it. Right. And then, and then she would uh, uh, say, oh, yes, you did do it. Who's the master? And I'm like, you are, but I didn't do that. You know? And so we have this kind of argument all the time. And, uh, and then my mind went back to what she said to me. You have to be able to accept many blames. And then I realized that she was trying to train me to be able to overlook a fault and tolerate a slight. You know, it was a, it was a, uh, to consider the one who re reviles me in public and curses me as my good friend. If I get upset to show me something in my mind, you know, and once I got that lesson, then it was, uh, I'm not saying like it, it was great. It wasn't great, you know, but once I got it, I got much better at knowing like, if I know I didn't do it, that's okay. No. And it's not to say that every time that something happens, you like just flagellating yourself, taking the blame for everything. It's not that but it's to bring about a balance that's already existing in our minds. You see what we mean? What I mean? Um, that we have to be on the right side of things. You have to get me right. You have to understand me. You gotta respect me. You gotta, you know, all of these ways that we set ourselves up for suffering because everybody's not going to, you know, and that one can keep their cool uh, when uh, things are, are, are coming at them. And so um, I just want you to know that this Dharma is for that. 
And if we can take it into our daily life, sitting on the pillow is great. Nothing against sitting on the pillow. But the Buddha asked them before he talked about meditation, and I'm going to be wrapping up now. He said, uh, uh, how do you get along? He said, oh, great. We blend like milk and water. He said, how do you do that? He said, but when I see someone doing a task and it's difficult, he said, uh, uh, I'll go over, that's in, in Majima Nikai 128. He said, I just go over and I help him. He doesn't have to ask me for help and he doesn't have to thank me for help. You know, I'm not uh, expecting thanks. He said, I just go over and help him when I'm finished going back on my way. And he said, uh, Oh, that's good. That's good. And he said, and what else? He said, I think to myself, what a boon, what a great boon it is for those who are with me uh, in the holy life. So instead of me doing what I want to do, why don't I do what they want to do? He said, and then I do do what they want to do. He said, and that's another way. He said, that's great, great. So after he asked all these questions, he said, so now tell me how your meditation is going. He said, well, he said, it's going really, really good, you know? And he said, well, have you had any uh, uh, visions uh, and uh, uh, visions of light since you've been meditating? He said, yeah, yeah, we get it all the time, you know? But then he said, and then what happens? He said, but disappears. I said, he said, well, why does it disappear? He said, we don't know. He said, you should know the reason for that. He said, while I was an unenlightened bodhisattva, I too, you know, uh, uh, and he talked about his meditation and he had, had visions and he had all of that. And he said it would disappear. And I wondered, what is the reason for that? And then he said, oh, doubt crept up in me. Doubt, what kind of doubt? Doubt, am I worthy of this? Doubt about, am I really seeing what I think I see? Doubt about, do I understand what this is? He said, fear rose up sometimes because, you know, we penetrated some veil of ignorance and suddenly we knew something in a greater way. And he said, a doubt, fear would rise up or sometimes sloth and topa would rise up or sometimes, you know, and he talked about all of these things, but he said, every time one thing came up, he thought about it, he, he sat there with said, I'll practice in a way next time that that doesn't come up, that doesn't happen for me. And he said, and that's how we have to do. But he said, it starts with these six principles of cordiality that create, create love and respect conducive to cohesion, to non-dispute, to concord, and to unity. So I say to you, my friends, don't let those things creep in to your sangha. Don't let those things creep into your heart and to your mind, because they are the basis for all spiritual practice. The Dharma, as he gave it to us, is enough for us today. Right now, it's sufficient for everything that that uh, ills us. It's sufficient for all the ills of this world. We think we need a new Dharma, one that's more relevant for the times. But what we need is the old Dharma because the Dharma stays the same. Uh, so I would like to, uh, uh, while you're holding that thought to uh, close with a, a song, our, our choir. I know it's not that much. Don't get that much Buddhist singing, right? <laughs> We're the quiet ones. But we have a we have a uh, we have a choir, and uh, I think you'll enjoy. Okay. Just ask the waves; they come crashing. 
flashing in your light Circumstances, our hearts will be relieved. This is the end of suffering. Oh, to the Didn't fail. Didn't fail. No, no. what we do we sit around and write dharma songs <laughs> but that's where our joy comes from you know because it's the dharma in us that brings our joy and the world's gonna be what it is you know but when we can see it through the eyes of the dharma we're not perplexed we're not confounded we're not too sad we're not too glad you know and that's what makes us able to be steady in this life regardless of what winds are blowing so thank you all so much for uh, inviting me tonight. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for uh, uh, your patience in my snafu today. And it was uh, great to see you. May you be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you and no danger. May you always be able to meet the inevitable 
difficulties of life. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.